Well, good evening. Welcome to Mosaic. How are y'all doing? Oh, okay. That sounds exciting. All right, so um, I need to explain what's going on here. Uh, I come, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in Springdale, Arkansas. And uh, we have a way of, of singing and celebrating in Springdale. So we're going to invite y'all into that right now. So if everybody would go ahead and stand on up. This is actually how I talk for about the first 15 years of my life. I spent college trying to unlearn this accent. All right, so we're going to sing a song written by Hank Williams called I Saw the Light. Now, there's a couple things that are going to start happening as you're singing this song. You're going to feel some, some phenomenon going on inside your body. And here's what's going to happen. You're gonna, you might feel the desire for your head to start bobbing like this. That's okay. That's natural. Your foot might start tapping. You may want to clap your hands. And if the spirit really starts moving, you may even need to jump up in your chair and dance. And all of that is completely acceptable. But if you do none of the above, this is going to feel really awkward. So please join in. This is us all the light. try to get back out of the accent. I do not want to get stuck in that place. Hey, welcome Mosaic. We're really glad you're here and we would love to connect with you, uh, especially if you're visiting. If you're new tonight, we'd love to, to connect a name with a face. And there's a couple ways uh, that we can do that. Uh, one, you could go to our website and just go to mosaicnwa.org slash new. And that'd be a place where you can 
enter in some information and you'll get a phone call this week to connect. Or after service, you can go to the, the little circular booth out in the foyer and meet someone face to face. We'd love to, to connect with you. And if you ever wanna know what's going on around here, mosaicnwa.org slash news, all of the current things that are going on, you can check out there and so you can always stay informed. There's a couple of things we wanna draw your attention to right now. One, one of the, the values that we do as a church is we wanna to serve together. Uh, we wanna to be a, a people that everyone pitches in when you're part of this family. And that's, that's one of the marks of real family, right? Like when we have guests over, we don't let them do the dishes. When we have guests over, we say, hey, just sit back and enjoy yourself. That's part of hospitality. But guess what the family does? Family does the dishes. And, and family pitches in and helps out with what's going on around the house. And so that's part of what we do as a church family and serve. And we have some, some serving needs going on right now. Uh, everything from helping with being an usher, welcoming people into the service, to we have a big need in the tech and AV area in our worship services. Hey, everybody turn around and say hi to the people in the tech booth. Say, thank you. Hey, so if you um, have ever enjoyed music or ever touched an electronic device and thought it was cool, um, tech could be a great place for you to serve. So we encourage you, uh, jump in on that. And also, we always have needs in our children's ministries in different areas. If you call Mosaic Home, if this is your congregation, I encourage you, jump in somewhere to serve. One of the questions I often get is, how can I feel connected here? I don't really feel very connected. I guarantee you, one of the best answers is to start serving. People who are plugged in serving somewhere tend to feel like they belong and they're a part of this place. So jump in with us and serve. Um, if you wanna find out how to do that, um, if you go to that mosaicnwa.org slash news, there'll be a link there where you can click and find out ways to serve or you can ask any one of us and we'll help you get plugged in. Hey, another thing we wanna invite you into, um, coming up on February 27th, we are launching our new Bentonville congregation, which is something the Mosaic, the Fellowship Mosaic family has been a big part of, helping to send people and equip people to go be a part of that. And so we as a church are committing to 40 days of prayer leading up to that launch, uh, both for our Mosaic body and what's going on here and also praying for what's going on there. And so we wanna invite you to, to jump in. There, there's a, a prayer guide that you can walk through that have each day a different ministry area to pray for. Um, and so we wanna invite you as a congregation to jump in on those 40 days of prayer with us leading up to that, that big launch that we're super excited about. Another big way to pray this weekend nationally is a weekend where we celebrate the sanctity of human life. Um, that every human being, because they are made and designed in the image of God, matters to God. Um, no matter what their race, ethnicity, um, economic status, e every single human matters to God. And we put a special emphasis on the unborn and praying for the unborn and their protection. So we enjoy, ask you to join us in prayer um, that we can lift up the sanctity of human life to the Lord. And one of the best practical ways you can get involved is Loving Choices is a crisis pregnancy center here in Northwest Arkansas that does a lot of good. And there's a lot of ways to give and plug in and be a part of what they're doing. So we would invite you to join us in prayer and in advocating to the Lord and others um, for the sanctity of human life. We are so excited to worship together uh, tonight. So let's stand and sing to the Lord. Thy power throughout the universe 
you join me uh, as we take a time to just um, to thank God, but also just uh, the time to give back. And, you know, Nick was talking about earlier about just giving back uh, through service, but kind of you hear that phrase, time, talent, and treasure, and, um, and just all the ways that we can say thank you to God. Thank you for what he's given us. Thank you for what you provided for us. Thank you for the pathways you've made straight in our lives. And so, there's gonna be a, just a scripture on the screen, and would you join me in just reading this together uh, in one unified voice, uh, just a, a, a song of offering and thanks. So let's read this together. O oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. 
May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. And then we give freely and not under compulsion for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gifts to us, your son and your spirit. And we all say, amen.
Lord God, you are king. You reign over the earth, you reign over the universe, and you reign over our hearts. So Lord, while that is absolutely true, it is always true, we don't always acknowledge that truth. We try to be kings of our own worlds, kings and queens of our own worlds, Lord. And I pray tonight that as we hear from your word, that you will claim back territory that is yours. Claim back the territory of our hearts and our wills, that they would be fully aligned to you in everything. Transform us tonight. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 10, we left off last week when God saw their actions, there being the city of Nineveh, that they turned from their evil way of living. God relented concerning the judgment he had threatened them with and did not destroy them. It's the, the, the climax of the story up to this point, the happy button that should have been at the end of this whole story. I, I, I think about how many believers would almost give their lives to be outside the city and witness that miracle, a, a repentance of an entire pagan city, just the marvel of that. And, and that's what I would hope chapter 4 verse one would open with. That's my, I put my wishful thinking translation up here that Jonah was, he was moved and he was overcome by tears of gratitude. That would be the the beautiful opening to chapter four. But instead we get this, this or that God relented of his destruction, displeased Jonah terribly and he became very angry. Your jaw should just drop, just displeasure. The double negatives there should just make you, Jonah is blind to the grace he has received. He wasn't struck down on the docks. He didn't drop dead in the ship. He didn't drown in the sea. He wasn't digested in the belly of the fish. He wasn't murdered in Nineveh. And in his repeated rebellion against God, he's only met the God who is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. It's incredible. Let's see where he continues. He prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, this is just what I thought would happen. That phrase, just what I thought would happen, uh, in in kind of the the background, the root translation of that is, is actually a better phrase. Is this not my word? So the word of the Lord has come to Jonah twice. And here he says, I heard your word. This is my word. Let's see what Jonah with bravada has said back uh, when I was in my own country. This is what I tried to prevent by attempting to escape to Tarshish. It's, it's been a mystery up to this point. Perhaps it's uh, a nationalistic, uh, I, I, I'm identifying with Israel and I don't want the enemies of Israel to succeed, or perhaps it's fear for his own mortal life. If I go to Nineveh, I might be struck dead, but here he's going to show his cards because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and one who relents concerning threatened judgment. No, it's a, it's a sucker punch. We ought to feel this. I didn't want to go because I knew 
your character. I knew you could forgive the Ninevites, and I hated that thought. I hated it. I wanted you to judge Nineveh. I knew that you were a God, as, as the message kind of translates part of this, that is ready at the drop of a hat to turn from your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. You see, Jonah could be a recipient of grace, but he could not be a giver of it. He could not be an extender of it. He, he thought wrongly, if I play no part in the redemption of Nineveh and they are destroyed, then what Amos and Hosea have prophesied by the Lord won't come true and Israel will be saved. Imagine instead if he had actually believed the God he knew, that he knew he was sl slow to anger, that he knew he was compassionate, and instead he said, I'm going to work for the salvation of Nineveh and Israel. Israel and her rebellion. Israel, the one coming under judgment of the Ninevites. We, friends, are to be grace givers. We are to be proactive in the making of grace in the world. I wonder, is, is there grace in your wake? Or is what spills out behind you maybe something more toxic? So now, Lord, kill me instead, because I would rather die than live. And the Lord said, are you really so very angry? What right do you have? What a turn. I like the poem that um, Thomas John Carlyle wrote. He wrote a series of poems that were breaking down the book of, of, of Jonah. And uh, I like this one. It's called Tantrum. The generosity of God displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he slashed with angry prayer at the graciousness of the Almighty. I told you so, he screamed. I knew what you would do, you dirty forgiver. You bless your enemies and show kindness to those who despitefully use you. I would rather die than live in a world with a God like you. And don't try to forgive me either. Now these are violent words that sting the tongue. And they remind me that it's not really hard to find a story of someone overcome with irrational anger, setting aside self-preservation, risking life to prove a point. Get on I-49 and tick somebody off. You're on the way, road rage. I, I was driving home from my parents' house and got cut off and the windows are rolled up and I'm frustrated because my kids are put in danger and I'm calling the guy an idiot and angry. I'm just, and I get to the next stoplight and I go, guys, I'm so sorry for the way I just spoke. That, was that didn't help him at all. It didn't help me, it didn't help any of you. And I realized that I am not slow to anger. I'm not reflecting the God I'd so desperately want to. Uh, there's a, a graphic that we've used from time to time around here. It's been a little while, I think, but it's out of the gospel-centered life. And uh, if you'll look at it, there, as you, once you come to the, the saving faith in Christ, once you know who he is and what he's done, then there is a growing awareness of 
our flesh and, and the sinfulness that shapes us. And, and as you come to understand that more and more, you come to see the, the grace of God bending toward us to be even deeper bent. We're, we're way lower than I thought when I first was, was saved. Even lower still, day by day, realizing that God's holiness, I, I'm growing in awareness, growing in awareness of his grace. I might say it this way, that a believer with a growing awareness of their sin gives grace as radically as they receive it. Now Jonah left the city and he sat down east of it and he made a shelter for himself there and he sat down under it in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Jonah here just showing the blindness again to the grace he's received. He has, so this is the good. Left is good, right is no good. He's reached a point where he is no longer seeing the grace giving of God. He's sitting there self-righteous and arrogant and angry. He's sitting outside the city and I don't, I don't know what he hoped to see. It said that he, he sat down to see what would happen to the city. I don't know if he hoped that God would relent of his relenting and decide to destroy the city after all. I, it makes, it's hard. It's hard to see. It's hard to read. So the Lord God appointed a little plant and caused it to grow up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to rescue him from his misery. Now Jonah was very delighted about the little plant. It's the first time in the whole book that Jonah's happy. First time in the whole book. And there's a double word play here. The, the word for rescue and deliver and the word for shade are very similar sounding words. And, and then the word for misery can also mean evil. So if I can play it back to you with those things in mind, Jonah thinks that God is providing him shade to relieve his misery of, of the heat and the discomfort. But God is really working to rescue Jonah from his evil attitude. Shade and misery or rescue from evil. So God sends a worm at dawn and it attacks the little plant so that it dries up. You'll remember the very first week Sam said the, the main character of this whole story is God. God's in control the whole time. He's the one that gives the message. He's the one that sends the messenger. He's the one that sends the waves and the fish and the plant and the worm. He's in control. And so there's a pointed lesson he's driving here. With the plant God, with the plant gone, we can ask, has God's plan to rescue Jonah from his evil attitude had any effect? And so we look. When the sun began to shine, God sent a hot east wind, again in control. So the sun beat down on Jonah's head and he grew faint. So he despaired of life and said, I would rather die than live. And we see his attitude hasn't changed one bit. The, the shade plant is this white elephant 
of a gift. You think about the white elephant gift exchange or the dirty Santa gift exchange. Whole bunch of mystery gifts all wrapped up. Some of them disgusting. You don't want to get it. Not good. But you draw one, you pull it out, and, and you open it up, and it's actually like one of the good gifts. And you're going, I can't wait to spend this gift card. I can't wait to eat this chocolate. I can't wait to like put this beautiful object in my home. I'm so excited. And you, you, you start to kind of build dreams around this, and then in a moment, it's just snatched out of your hands and you end up drawing one of those disgusting things. And, and in, in that moment, there's probably a tinge of anger or sadness or frustration. The shade plant is this white elephant of a gift. We, we started this whole series talking about the book of Jonah being a true story. And we said one of the, one of the things that people say makes it hard to believe is that, is that there's so many incredible miracles. They just don't make sense. And so I wonder, what is the, the biggest miracle of this book? Is it the stilling of the storm? Perhaps it's the fish or the plant and the worm. Maybe it's the repentance of all of Nineveh. Or is it that God hears Jonah saying, kill me now, and he does it? He's listened to this guy complain for four chapters and he doesn't give him the thing he wants. He instead shows him continued patience, continued grace. This man who has shown more grief over a 24-hour plant than over a city full of image bearers. That's pretty miraculous to me. I don't have that patience and I don't know many that do. So God said... The word of the Lord now coming a third time to Jonah. And I don't know how many times, friends, that God gives a message and, and allows us to ask him to repeat himself. I wish Jonah had listened the first time. And I pray that we are not a church that asks and asks and asks for him to repeat himself. God said to Jonah, are you really so very angry about the little plant? And he said, I am as angry as I could possibly be. Angry unto death. He's asked, kill me now. I'm angry as I could possibly be. And the Lord said, you are upset or concerned about this little plant. Something for which you did not work, nor did you do anything to make it grow. It grew up overnight and died the next day. Should I not be more concerned about Nineveh? This enormous city. There are more than 120,000 people in it who do not know right from wrong, as well as many animals. The ESV says, and also much cattle, which the kid's pastor in me just giggles that this whole book is swelled to the point where we just end with, and cow. It's just like, I love it. I don't know why I love it, but I just love it. Uh, why, why animals? I, I think back to chapter three and the king's response. Uh, when, when, God, when, when the message uh, comes to the city of Nineveh, the king repents, but he asks for the whole city, animals included, cattle included, to join in the fast and the mourning and the grief over the sin, hoping to find the, the grace of God. And I wonder if it's, I just want to draw your eyes again, Jonah, to even the animals are doing something that you have yet to do. You've yet to own a single thing. You've yet to admit fault. You've yet to say you were wrong. Concerned about the plant, concerned about the enormous city. 
the message plays with the phrase. And it says, how is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger about an overnight plant or anger overnight about a mere shade tree? Why can't I likewise change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? And this is one of these weeks where this passage in the way that Hebrews promises, it's a, it's a penetrating sword that divides. It reads you. It, it has read me. It feels so exposing. And I, and I feel like I say, am I the one with the wrong prerogatives or the wrong priorities, the wrong loves? It feels like it. It feels like it sometimes. So Jonah is sitting outside the city, so unwilling to see anyone else receive grace. So unaware of the grace that he's received. He should have been absolutely flabbergasted, just knocked flat, seeing a whole city come to faith and instead. When was the last time that you were overwhelmed by grace? Surprised or moved by it? I found myself surprised by Sudden tears as I listened to a story recently. And I'd like to share an abridged version of it with you tonight. Um, it's called The Three Young Kings, and it's by George Sumner Albee. So Jesus' birthday in Cuba is a day to go to church, not a day for gifts. Gifts are distributed later on the 6th of January not by Santa Claus, but by the three kings who carried gifts to the newborn Christ child in the manger at Bethlehem. On the 2nd of January, therefore, uh, Father Miguel called the eldest boys, Eduardo, Ramoncito, and Lazaro, into his office. Father Miguel was so frail that his linen white cassock uh, appeared more often than not to be unoccupied. There's very little of him still in residence on earth. Children, he said, I've done this many times, but it is new to you. So I must explain the procedure of the three kings. All the gifts your schoolmates will receive from their family and friends are upstairs in the janitor's room. I want you here two hours before dark to load the mules, saddle the horses, and disguise yourselves in your robes, beards, and turbans. You'll set out at dusk. It'll take you three hours or so to deliver the presents. Then you'll return here, hand back the animals, and hang away your robes. Do not reveal to anyone that you are the three kings. We would not wish to sadden the hearts of any of the little ones. There's something about the houses of Cardenas in Cuba that is strange. And that is that the richest man in the block may live next door to the poorest. For, for this reason is the boys dismounted at the Montoro house. They could not help seeing the nine barefoot children of Emilio, the shoemaker, dressed in ragged shirts and nothing else, who stared at them hopefully as they took down the saddlebag containing the Montoro youngster's gifts. Eduardo, whose voice was already so much deeper than many a man's, thudded on the door with the brass knocker and bellowed, Do the good young ones of the Signores Montoro, Montoro live here? And Signor Montoro swung open the tall door, elegant in his starched white jacket of pleated linen. Yes, sir, we have good young ones in this house, he replied. 
May I ask who you are, gentlemen? We are the three kings of Orient, boomed Eduardo. The Montoro children, jabbering with excitement, accepted the, the presents that had their names on them. And hasty goodbyes were said, and the kings mounted and rode on. The shoemaker's kids are all crying, said Lazaro over the clip-clop of the hooves. I can hear them. They thought we'd leave something for them when we came out of the Montoros. On the lead mare, Eduardo, who knew a number of words which did not meet with Father Miguel's approval, muttered a particularly bad one. If you think this is bad, said Ramoncito, wait till we get down by the market. My brother Pepe told me when he was a king, he rode through four blocks of bawling beggar kids there. What do you want? Eduardo shouted back. Am I to blame because there are families that can't earn a living? The cane crop is poor this year. I just think, said Lazaro, it's a shame to take gifts to rich kids like us when it's the poor kids that need them. Father Miguel told us what to do, said Eduardo grimly, and we're going to do it. But not a hundred yards farther on, a small boy of seven or eight in a shirt made of secondhand cheesecloth that was washed white for the holiday ran hysterically into the street crying, Oh, kings, kings, we live here, senores, at number 22. Eduardo reined in so sharply that he hurt his mare's dainty mouth. And leaning down from his saddle, he bellowed in a voice that frightened the boy nearly out of his senses. What's your name? Is there light in your house so we can see? Then take us there. And in the one-room house at number 22, where an entire family slept on the clay floor, and the only light was that from the candle blinking in its ruby cup at the feet of the virgin, they handed out half a dozen packages. The gratitude of the little boy and girl embarrassed them so terribly that they got away quickly, shutting the rickety door behind them with a slam. They gathered around the horses. Well, anyhow, said Eduardo, those two won't ball all night, but now what? You know, we ought to obey the father. Tu eres jefe, answered Ramoncito with a shrug. I'm not the boss, roared Eduardo. You always make me the boss and then I get in trouble. Do you realize the scandal it will be if we go down to the market and give all this stuff to the beggar kids? Clearly it'll be a scandal, responded Ramoncito. It has never been done. Dramatically, Lazaro crumpled his map and flung it into the gutter. And they turned the horses' heads and trotted toward the market. Are there good young ones on this street who have behaved well this year? If there are, come you all to the market. Even as the crowd formed a ring, dirty, barefoot children with uncombed hair and noses that badly needed wiping were pushing and wriggling and, where it was necessary, kicking their way to its center. And recklessly, Eduardo, Ramoncito, and Lazaro tore away tissue paper and ribbons so they could see what the gifts were and passed them out. And arguments broke out in the crowd, but not among the children. They snatched their dolls and painting sets, their toy fire engines and scooters, and raced away shrieking, carrying the greatest news of their lives to brothers, sisters, and deserving friends. By the time the boys had hung up their costumes and turned over the animals, furious, gesticulating parents were already demanding that all three of them be expelled at once 
from school. And the movement was headed by Triunfo Annalina, who had made a large fortune out of a small drugstore by selling medicines for much more than they were worth to people too sick to argue over the price. At four that afternoon, the outraged parents were at the school. There they squeezed themselves into the seats behind the students' small desks while the burly druggist arrogantly preempted the mathematics teacher's desk on the dais. Eduardo, Ramoncito, and Lazaro ranged themselves before the blackboard because in their own minds, they were guilty, convicted, and ready for the firing squad. We are here, stated Triomfo Annalina curtly. Let us begin. He presented a detailed account of the crime that had been commuted using a number of large and impressive words that he had picked up from his brother, a lawyer, and it took him half an hour. After this, the fathers of the culprits spoke for the defense. But Triomfo Annalina just shouted them down, pounding the desk with his hairy fist. The thieves must be punished, he cried. Then the truth of the matter, said Eduardo's handsome father, is that nothing will satisfy you. Not honorable apology, not repayment, nothing. What you want is revenge. Yes, revenge, gasped Triumphal Annalina. What a scandal. It's the first time in the history of our colegio that this thing has happened. Oh, Annalina, came a faint voice from the rear of the room. You have a point there. And every head turned as Father Miguel, pausing several times to gather strength along the way, came up the aisle. And Triumph Annalina scrambled clumsily to his feet. Take my seat, Father, he said. It is not your seat, replied Father Miguel, steadying himself with one small dry hand on the edge of the desk. And he faced the parents. Dear friends, he whispered, it is so. For 50 years I have sent into the town on the eve of three kings' day, the oldest three boys of the school. And always they have distributed the gifts as I bade them because they were good boys. Not until last night have they ever disobeyed me. Behind the desk, Triumphal Annalina jerked his head sharply in agreement. But these boys are good boys also, since all boys are good boys, continued Father Miguel. So in fairness to them, we must examine their misdeed very closely. Exactly what, we must ask ourselves, did they do? They took rich gifts provided by the bounty of our beloved island and carried them to babes who sleep on straw pallets if they're lucky enough to find any straw in the streets around the market. Does the straw remind you of anything, senores y senoras? It reminds me of another babe swaddled in coarse cloth, who slept on straw in a manger because there was no room for him in an inn. And with this in mind, it becomes clear beyond doubt that these are not good boys. No, there's something more than ordinary good boys. In the generosity of their hearts, the sweetness of their spirit, the courage of their will, they are indeed Three young kings. And Father Miguel raised a hand. Now, he said, if you will kindly help me to my house next door. A delegation from the neighborhood of the market is waiting for you all. They wish to thank you 
for your sympathy and kindness, which have so deeply touched them. And they wish also to know the identity of the three noble kings in order that they may kiss their hands. Now each fall, the Fellowship Mosaic staff look out and try to discern where God might be leading us. We dream, what could Fellowship Mosaic look like in five years? And this year, kind of three main identifiers rose to the surface as we met. Five years from now, we want to be a church that is diverse in age and in struggles and in background. A church of deep relationships, authentic relationships. A church rooted in history and tradition, but missionally led into the future. And that's the dream of where we think God is leading us, which means we have to say we're not yet there. And to get there, we're all going to need to grow and to change. And I wonder, reflecting on Jonah and reflecting on the three kings, how God might change each of us in the next five years. Jonah should have been overwhelmed by the grace that he saw God show the city of Nineveh. But instead of, he's a grace taker. He's never a grace giver. Triumphuanalina, the, the druggist father, should have been moved by the grace that he saw the three kings show to the baker kids. But instead, he's bitter. So perhaps, where do you need to admit fault? With what or with whom are you bitter? The answers to these questions might be where you begin to look for God already working out grace and inviting you in to be the grace givers. The king of Nineveh repented in ashes. And how much more should we who already know this God to be gracious and compassionate and abounding in mercies without haste bring our sins before him in confession? So what sin do you need to confess and find forgiveness in? The beggar children raced away, shrieking, carrying the greatest news of their lives to brothers and sisters and deserving friends. And perhaps you need to ask God for the childlike faith to receive his grace without earning it, to find delight in him and in it again. And the three young kings risked greatly and gave generously. So where are you timid or stingy with the abundant grace that God has given you and where God might work through you in the lives of others? And if we, as a church, want to play any part in the working out of grace in Northwest Arkansas or the world, if we want to be in five years what we say here, if we want to be the people that, that the world would look in on and say, I see that there is a God that's slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and he is in our midst, then they're going to have to see it in this church. They're going to have to see it in each of us first. And so I want to end with a final poem, again, from Mr. Car Carlisle, that I think sums up 
God's desire for us will. It's called coming around. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonas and their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. It seems fitting to pray uh, as we end, and I'd like to use the serenity prayer. So would you join me in praying that prayer tonight? God, would you grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.
grace so abundantly poured out on us. And Lord, I pray that we will be those that receive your grace and extend it to others in everything that we do. Let that be the mark of our church in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Fellowship Mosaic, our prayer for you this week is that you will experience and walk in the abundant, ridiculous mercy and love and compassion of God. And that as you're shaped by that, you'll extend that mercy to everyone in your world, everyone you meet. So go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.